State Representative Rasheen Aldridge is one of the Missouri House's youngest members. But the St. Louis Democrat has been in the public spotlight both as an activist and a member of the Ferguson Commission since before he was eligible to serve in the legislature. Aldridge joins us next on Politically Speaking to talk about how that experience prepared him for life in Jefferson City. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me in the studio today, the state representative for the 78th District of the Missouri House. Yes, sir. What's your name, by the way? Rasheen Aldrich. A familiar voice to many people in the St. Louis area, but probably a new voice to people involved in Missouri politics. Uh, Before I ask you about your entire life story, which is very (laughs) fascinating, I know part of it already, uh, tell our listeners where your district is and what the boundaries are. Of course, I got you. So thank you so much for having me. I always want to be on uh, Political Speak. All you had to do was win an election, I guess. Well, I, I won committee, man, but I guess I, that wasn't really matter to get on. But it's okay. It's okay. I'm here now. I'm but, sorry, uh, Rasheen. <laughs> but the 78th district is a really diverse district. I'm honored to be representing it. As we go north, it starts uh, at Broadway a lot on the um, riverfront. And as you continue to go south, it takes in Hyde Park. Um, it takes in Old North St. Louis, Car Square, uh, all of downtown, so downtown west, everything that uh, downtown has. As you continue to go south, it takes in Soulard, Ben Park, uh, LaSalle, a little bit of Dutchtown, and a little bit of Marine Villa. So a lot of people in the St. Louis area know you for your activism and the fact that you were a member of the Ferguson Commission. Mm-hmm. But, but a lot of people may not know the rest of the story, because I'm sure that the, the 20 other years that you have been existing on this earth, there have been other things that have happened that kind of brought to you to this point. So I want to give our listeners a sense of find out who is Rasheen Aldridge and how did you become a state representative? Gotcha. So Rasheen Aldridge was born and raised here in St. Louis. Uh, one unique thing about me is so when I was born on the right side of my leg, I didn't get proper blood flow. Uh, and it actually grew shorter than the other. And so what they did to the foot, they turned the foot around backwards to play as a knee. So the right side of my leg stops a little below my knee above my shin. Uh, I went to Parkway. I was part of DSEG program from kindergarten all the way to 12th grade. And I think living in the city in Car Square neighborhood, but going to Parkway uh, at an early age gave me kind of these special lenses of questioning and asking why do things in my neighborhood don't look the same to the community that I'm going to school at? So, you know, when I would go over to my friend's house, we'd be able to walk to the gas station and other places, it'll be fine. But when I would come back home, there was no community park. There was no um, resource center that we can go to. I almost felt like an animal in cage. And after high school, I went to St. Louis Community College for a couple years and then became a director of a youth organization called Young Activists United 
which did organizing on um, universities and community college to make sure that student voices was being at the forefront and making sure that our issues was also part of the agenda. I've interviewed a lot of black legislators from the St. Louis area, and the vast majority went through the DSEG program. Mm-hmm. Someone like uh, Senator Maria Chappelle Noel, I know she's a rep now, but I still call her senator. Because you got to call it the highest terms. No, I, I mean, I call Rita Day as a senator, and she's a county councilwoman. Mm-hmm. A lot of them went through the DSEG program, and it seems like it had a profound impact on not only their lives, but how they enter the political realm. Like, you're a relatively newcomer to state elected office. Mm-hmm. You obviously were a committee man before, but how do you think that experience is going to, like, affect how you, you deal with education policy or, you know, when, when the whole issue of, like, vouchers come along? You know, how, how is that going to affect your, your mindset on that? And even my former... Um, um former state rep who I'm proceeding and taking his seat, Bruce Franks, he went to Lindbergh. So another state rep that went to a DSEG program. I think uh, individuals like us that were uh, going to these uh, county schools but living in the city kind of had a a different look on life, Um, seeing how, once again, how we would go to a school that, you know, we got the diversity at an early age. Many of our friends sometimes didn't look like us, was white or Asian or Indian, was positive, but at the same time, when we would come back home to our own communities, um, those tax dollars actually was going to those schools out in the county and not back to the schools in our community. So I know for like myself, during summertime, I would go to Jefferson Elementary for summer school, and it would just be a complete shocker to me of how the foundation looked, the, the restroom stalls, how we didn't have smart boards. We didn't have just the same equipment or resources that, you know, I had when I was going to school out in Parkway. So I never really understood. And I think me moving into um, on a state level now, it, it opens up my eyes to say, how do we make it equitable that all kids have that same quality education? Because we want to make sure that our our kids have the brightest and best opportunity to succeed. And no matter your zip code, no matter what municipality you live in, and no matter what part of the city you live in, you should still be able to go to school and have those same opportunities as individuals in Ladue, individuals at Parkway, individuals at Rockwood, like the opportunities that I was able to get. So as I kind of alluded to in the run-up to tell me your life story question, I've I've known you for about five years because – you know, you were in Ferguson mm-hmm. as a protester. You were the youngest member of the Ferguson Commission. You've been involved in, like, efforts to increase the minimum wage, mm-hmm. the fight for 15 mm-hmm. issue. Like, it seems like you've been around forever, yet you're <laughs> entering the legislature as one of the youngest members. There has to be a, an, an unprecedented dichotomy that goes on that you've been in the public spotlight for a while, yet you're entering Jefferson City, again, a relatively youthful person. It's like you, you probably feel like you're 45 as opposed to 25 by now. So that was more of an observation than a question. But what do you tell our listeners a little bit more about your experience during the Ferguson protest movement, your experience on the Ferguson Commission, and what that's going to bring to your role as a state representative mm-hmm. in Jefferson City? And not going to lie, sometimes I do feel like I got kind of an old So I like to listen to Marvin Gaye and some good old... Um, Motown music. But, um, you know, being part of the Fight for 15, um, a movement that has been advocating and still advocating and getting a lot of wins and gains for uh, higher wages and a union and then transitioning that organizing and that experience that I learned in that movement and try to take it out in Ferguson, which was totally different. Um, I learned that I've turned from an organizer to a protester because 
uh, that it was something that deeply impacted me too. As I was out there, it hit me that I could have been Mike Brown. And a lot of folks say that, and I know other individuals have probably said that or you heard that, but the reality is you never know just walking down the street being a person of color, having an interaction with law enforcement, how that may go. Um, Note we do have a lot of good police officers, um, but at the same time, we're so disconnected. Um, Law enforcement don't trust the neighborhood that they're in, and a lot of people in those neighborhoods don't trust the law enforcement that's protecting and patrolling them or supposed to be protecting and serving them. So going out in Ferguson and organizing and seeing how um, law enforcement that was supposed to have been an agency that was really to make things better was only antagonizing and making the situation worse um, opened up my eyes to the systems that we are currently have in place. And then being appointed to the Ferguson Commission wasn't easy because at the time, former Governor Nixon wasn't an ally to the protesters. He did a lot of things that uh, folks did not like. Yeah, and at the time, the Ferguson Commission was kind of seen as like a makeup for his reaction to Ferguson, or it's kind of like a reactionary thing as Mm -hmm. opposed to something that would actually influence a lot of people's policy-making compass. Yep. I mean, that that was kind of the truth at the time. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a commission put in place by a governor who, at the time, community leaders, uh, the protesters on the ground, faith did not feel like the governor really took this situation serious. So now you have this commission of, what, 16 people talking about recommendations that's going to make it better. We've been there. We've done that. I think what was different with the Ferguson Commission, you had – truly trusted people like Reverend Starsky, uh, Pastor Tracy Blackman, Brittany Packnett, myself, who knew what we was getting into and at the end of the day was going to stand with the people, even if the governor didn't like some of the recommendations or some of the stuff we did. And Starsky made that very clear. We're going to be bold, unflinching, and we're not going to be another commission. We're not trying to create a new rule book. We're just trying to create a roadmap to what we all know. Ferguson isn't new. A community that is distressed, don't have livable wages, don't have quality education, then on top of that, law enforcement that come. And as we've seen the report, you know, back then they had put out a report of 90% of people in Ferguson of color was being pulled over and ticketed for no reason, small, minor things. So this was nothing new to young people like myself or a generation that I've seen that a generation beforehand. So we had a little bit more clout, I believe, because of the folks that was on the commission. The community said, we don't trust the governor, but we're putting faith that each and, each and every one of you guys are going to put in the work and put up recommendations that are actually sustainable and changeable. Now, when you look at that on a state level, it's been more of a battle. Um, but I, when you look at it as far as community organizing and community organizations being able to use these recommendations to enact if it's on a local state level is, I think, what's being even more helpful. Yeah, you you stole my thunder. My next question was going to be because so since Ferguson happened, I think I've been tasked with doing like anniversary stories every single year. And for the most part, every year was basically the same story, like so much more work to do. All the recommendations of the Ferguson Commission are undone. No progress on a local level. This was actually the first year since I've started doing this story where I can actually say, yes, there has been progress on a local level. St. Louis County politics has radically transformed, Mm -hmm. especially since Steve Stanger has been gone. But, you know, you're going to be entering the legislature that has not really done a lot of definitive legislative public policy recommendations from the Ferguson Commission. 
as a as a person who's in the super minority, I don't think you can magically make the Republicans do all those things. But as somebody who was there and who played a part in making those recommendations, what are you going to do to move the needle forward? It is upsetting uh, because we put a lot of work into this uh, report, into the Ferguson Commission report, and try to look at it not as a white thing, not as a black thing, not as a rich thing, not as a poor thing, but something that's going to help our region and our whole state um, across the board. If it could be done on a local level, a lot of the recommendations that we put, like you say, now are being kind of enacted on the county level. Early on, uh, Mayor Leiter Krusen kind of referenced the report and said she's going to use this as a guidebook to do some things in the city. But for me, being a, a former member of the Ferguson Commission and now going to be, and now the state representative of the 78th District, I want to be able to build relationships with folks across the aisle and have just true stories and conversations with them about how this can benefit not just urban Missouri, but how it also benefit rural Missouri. I think the biggest disconnect is the Ferguson report was looked at, I think, on a state level as, oh, well, all these recommendations that we have to get done or that we have to do this to make our state better, we know what's best, instead of actually building the conversation about why we recommended $15 an hour, why we're saying uh, we want to make sure that some of these municipalities are dismantled, because the the conversation from the report to our state legislators never really happened. There's always been this disconnect. And I think for them, they felt like they wasn't part of the conversation. And I mean, they're in the majority. If nobody's going to come talk to them, why even do anything? So hopefully something that uh, my predecessor did, Bruce Franks, is building relationships with individuals across the aisle and saying, this benefits all of us. This benefits Missouri. I know we like to look Democrat, Republican, but how do we move our state forward when you have states outside of Missouri that has done more? I mean, even like Texas, I remember a year after they were doing more policy change around some of the stuff we put in the Ferguson report. So I think it's about building relationships and, and having personal stories with each other of how this helps me, it helps you, it helps my kids, it helps your kids, it helps our future. I want to talk about former State Representative Franks for a second, because the reason that you're entering the legislature now is he decided to step down as a member of the House. He talked with me and other reporters about how he felt he needed to do that for his own mental health reasons. And I, I think Representative Franks was really revered by a lot of people in St. Louis, but he also made a lot of enemies as well, as I think he talked about pretty openly. What do you think the general legacy of Bruce Franks is? And what did you kind of make of his decision to step away from electoral politics and I guess leave St. Louis altogether? Mm -hmm. I think his legacy is something that's going to be lived on forever. I think it is going to be, even though um, you know, it wasn't always peaches and cream, and I don't think Bruce would have wanted it that way. He made it very clear he was going up to fight for a district that was underserved, that has previously probably haven't had leaders in place to really take it to the next level to fight for him. But I think, I mean, when you look at Bruce Franks, a individual who was disconnected from politics um, and evolved in the protest movement and then being able to move from protest of politics in a way that he did in the 78th to have a historic court case. It's something that it, I, I haven't, I know I'm only 25, but it's something and an individual like him that I haven't seen take on that type of battle and the way that he has and to be able to come back in his district and mentor so many young people, um, putting sometimes and a lot of times himself second to be out on the streets or to be at a protest, to not sell out um, but to still be able to go up to Jeff City, 
put his suit on and know that he has to work across the aisle with individuals who may not agree with what he's doing, but still doing that to make sure that stuff gets done. So he is, uh, he's, he's been a personal uh, mentor and friend and big brother to me that, you know, it was, it, I was saddened. I knew beforehand that it was coming because he, he told me, but I was, I was sad to see him go. I grew up in this district. I lived in this district. And then now to have a state representative that's willing to do the community organizing, but also not just going up to Jeff City to press a button, but to actually speak up on the issues, but to say, hey, this isn't me being a Democrat, just speaking up and being against it. This is me telling you why I feel this hurts my community or hurts our region and saying, how do we make it better? And not just being confrontational all the time. Like, he, if, if, if it was needed, you know, he would take it there. But he also was very understanding that the reality is we're 48 Democrats. And in that legislature makes us super minority. We need to work with folks across the aisle without selling out our values and who we are. Well, after this break from our sponsor, we're going to talk more with State Representative Aldridge about why he decided to pursue the Missouri House and what his expectations are for the 2020 session. And we're back with State Representative Rasheen Aldridge, a Democrat from the 78th House District. What are going to be some of your big priorities this year as a first-year state representative? I'm so excited to to be in Jeff City right now to work on some pieces of legislation. I've already filed, uh, already pre-filed three pieces of legislation. Uh, But the one that I'm really excited about that I'm hopeful that we can kind of get over the finish line um, is restoring voters' rights to individuals who are on probation and parole. So they're out of jail, they're out of prison, they're back in society, they're paying taxes, they're working, they've done their time, they made a bad decision. Um, but they cannot vote until they're off of papers, and sometimes that's 10, 15 years. And voting is one of the most important important tools that we have that is part of our democracy. We want them to be a voice in our community once they come back out. We want them to be productive, but we're saying, hey, you cannot vote. So I'm really excited. I know uh, nationally there's been 19 states so far that have passed similar legislation, and in some states like Kentucky, Florida, Tennessee, some states that are rural, as people look at Missouri, like, oh, that can't happen. It only happens in progressive states. I think New Jersey was the last one to do it. But I'm excited because this is a piece of legislation that doesn't just benefit Democrats. It just doesn't benefit Republicans or independents. It benefits everybody. We have individuals that are coming out of prisons and jail that are conservative, that are liberal, that don't know what they are because they've been behind bars so long. So this is it's it's making sure that people aren't just getting taxed without having their own representation. Um, so I'm really excited and I'm hopeful to have those conversations with my colleagues across the aisle to say, hey, this is something that ultimately helps our state and it moves us forward. And these are individuals that have done their time and trying to be a productive individual in society and they should have a voice in their community. You mentioned uh, you pre-filed three bills. What are the other two bills that you've pre-filed? The other two is restoring uh, tax credits to distressed communities. And then the um, one after that is creating a system where we track stalled, uh, lost and stolen firearms. Right now, there are so many guns out on the street. And no matter where you live, if it's St. Louis City, St. Louis County, Kansas City, uh, Columbia, crime is an issue. And it, it's running rampant. And creating this kind of system of if someone lose their firearm to know and track it, 
back to the individual or to the crime is another way to be on the defense. Eventually, we need to be on the offensive, but it's another way to prevent some of the things that we have going on when it comes to crime and gun violence in our communities. And one piece of legislation that I look forward to filing later down the line is it's need, it needs a lot of work, but moving to a four-day work week, uh, making it where we work four days and people can have a little bit more time with their families, being able to, I call it the self-care act. Um, and it's been done, there's studies been shown in other countries, and uh, recently uh, Microsoft in Japan just done it. Workers are more productive. It doesn't change um, finances for the owner or the corporation. It helps, honestly, everybody, because now you have people coming to work that are ready to work, had time to spend with their family, been able to go to the doctor. And as we talk about, as we talked about former state representative Bruce Franks and mental health, that is a real issue uh, not just with state reps, but people in our community. So being able to give them a little bit more self-care so that they can be productive in our community, but also at work is something that I'm really hopeful to figure out how do we work those kinks out to bring to the floor on the state house. I want to talk a little bit more about guns and gun violence, because I think we even talked about this offline. Like, I think both of us share an immense frustration for how little progress we've made. And I say we, I live in St. Louis County, but I feel like this is a problem for the entire region. Mm. When children are being killed on a semi-regular basis, this should shock the conscience of everybody into action. And it seemed to me that initially it wasn't an issue of like the parties working together. It almost felt like it was a blame game as opposed to let's figure this out. My question for you as somebody who represents an area where some of these kids were probably killed, I would assume. Can Democrats and Republicans actually come together and figure out a way for cities like St. Louis, Kansas City, Columbia, Springfield to pare down gun violence? You know, I'm really I'm really optimistic uh, that we can come together. We are in election year and uh, the governor didn't want to kind of touch this issue during the special session, but said this is something that should be happening during a regular session. So hopefully this is a conversation and something we really can work on because it it's frustrating. It makes me even emotional right now talking about it. Um, just yesterday uh, in the 78th, uh, we there was um, uh of killing of individuals due to the hands of, you know, guns and violence and stuff like that. Um, over this last summer, we've seen over about 20-something young kids being killed um, to these guns on the street. So it is it is something that I'm really hopeful we can talk about and figure out how do we move forward and how do we address it because we're by, by not talking about it and by not trying to pass legislation that helps families. This isn't an attack on guns. I'm a, I own a gun myself. I think it's a way to make sure that we as gun owners are responsible and individuals who aren't gun owners are being held accountable because it is a privilege and it's a right to be able to own a gun and we shouldn't take it for granted. And right now we're seeing communities like mines and districts like mines on a regular day basis having issues with people picking up guns, no matter if it's young or old, um, they're picking up guns, they're using it in the wrong way. So I'm optimistic because I'm, I'm very frustrated at the same time that we haven't addressed it. When you look at um, on a day-to-day -day basis, constantly St. Louis is ticking up on more deaths due to these gun violence. Uh, areas outside of St. Louis, Kansas City, are ticking up more on deaths of these gun violence. We're losing people in our communities, people that haven't even had a future. I know Isaiah, who's in the third ward, a uh, young, young um, individual died 
he didn't even have the opportunity to graduate from elementary school. He had his whole life ahead of him. So we need to talk about this because it's a it's being a plague across our country, but also in our state that we are continuing to be kind of last on reforming our legis- our laws to make sure that individuals that have guns are trustworthy enough to have it. Individuals who don't have guns are being held accountable because it's 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 a mess right now. And I want to talk about like what the responsibility of local leadership is, because, again, I don't think blaming people is productive here. And I don't want to spend time like saying, you know, Lida Cruson should do more because I know that I've talked with her. I know she wants the killings to stop just as much as you and I do. But what do you think that the state could provide to people like her and for people who control the St. Louis Police Department to give her like more tools to fight gun violence and fight crime. Because again, I'm looking at this perspective that I want to see something happen. And I don't want to see, I don't want to go through another summer where I'm reading about how 20 kids were killed. So what do you think that you can do as a state legislator to help local officials like the mayor? Yeah, I think it's kind of in two folds. And this is the way I kind of look at being a state rep. It's not just passing legislation, but when we're in district or when we're back home and we're in these communities, this is where my community organizing hat comes on. We need to be doing organizing on the ground. We need to be connecting people to the right resources, connecting them to Urban League, connecting them to Better Family Life, but making sure that we're bringing back a sense of what community is. So making sure that we have community block parties, again, making sure that neighbors know who their neighbors are. If I know who my neighbor is down the street, there's a total different amount of respect that I have for her or him compared to if I don't. And it's like, oh, yeah, forget who that is, right? So we need to get back to the basics of remembering who we are. And I think on the state level, we can empower the city more by uh, – one thing that I kind of like uh, what the congressman is trying to do, Lacey Clay, is allow municipalities to have a little bit more say in their laws and when it comes to guns in their in their uh, municipality instead of on a state level. Each each municipality is different, and I think leaders like Lida and Dr. Sam Page know what needs to be done, or at least trying to do a little bit more, but it's so much gridlock. If they do something on a local level, will the state overturn it? So. I know um, Republicans love to talk about um, local control and allowing people to have their own control over their municipality. So I think by us granting and giving the city a little bit more power to have say so on these guns um, and to be able to pass maybe our own legislation um, on our state level, I have full res- full trust in the Board of Aldermen that they will do the right thing. And I'm especially we got a great county executive board out there as well now will do the right thing that will pass legislation that makes it tougher for guns to get in the hands of individuals who don't need it, but also provide more opportunity for individuals so they don't have to feel like I'm going to pick up a gun to make sure I have food on the table for my kids. My final question before I ask you the most difficult question, which I'll get to in a minute, do you think the fact that it is going to be an election year is going to make it more difficult for lawmakers to pass substantive policy changes? Uh, I I think people are definitely going to play politics now that, you know, the governor's up and the coal's running um, and it's an election year. We, you know, everybody wants to pander to their base. 
But I am optimistic and hopeful from what our governor has said, and maybe it is because of an election year, but holding me accountable to it and actually being able to work on issues like workforce development, being able to really have a conversation about guns and how do we fix that. Uh, Representative uh, Shamed Dogan has been doing a great job on criminal justice reform, continuing to push that needle. So it is an election year, and I know folks are going to try to make sure they all get elected and that the top positions get elected all the way down. But it's been conversations and it's been things that have already been happening, I think, behind the scenes that gives me a little bit of hope as a young person that it's going to be tough, but we'll be able to say, hey, even if it's coming from the Republican side, they did it totally fine. I don't I don't I don't really care who gets it done, but we need to get it done because our city is it's it's falling. Our city is struggling. Our city and individuals in our community want leaders to step up to do the right thing, no matter if you're a Republican or Democrat. So here's the hardest question. Uh Oh, so. We've asked all first-time guests to showcase something in their district that they would like other people to see. I think in your district, this is especially challenging because the 78th district has so many things yes. in it. So, but if you could pick one or two things that you would say, these are things you should see in my district, what would it be? I'm going to pick two things. I would say uh, the first thing is if you haven't been to Old North and Crown Candy, you definitely have to go. It is a neighborhood that is back on the rise. It's, it had its tough times, but it has so much history. I remember as a young boy going to 14th Street uh, Mall and getting my head cut at Headhunters, which still exists. But over time, a lot of those stores have fallen, as uh, far as not fallen physically, but not occupied. Um, and it's really coming back up. You have people moving back into the neighborhood, and you always have to, if you're in that area, have to go to Crown Candy and get a good milkshake. It's a historic place, and the food is great. If you get the BLT, I think in the description it says heart attack because it's so much bacon, but it is so tasty. And then the second uh, spot I would tell folks to go is on Cherokee Street. It's another part of the district that is really um, up on the rise. You know, you have Wash Ave, you have The Loop, you have, like, these hot spots. And Cherokee Street, to me, is kind of a street that is like the working people street. I mean, it is it is so many bars, so many restaurants, so much diversity. It isn't your typical Starbucks, and, and I love Starbucks, but it is more organic mom-and-pop shops, individuals that are really putting their all into these businesses. And it's a street that you can just go have a good time on, see the diversity, learn some history and have some good time and some good food and some good drinks. Their food is amazing. Fun fact, whenever uh, somebody asks to meet Jason Merzenbaum at a coffee shop, I say, meet me at the Mud House on mm. Cherokee Street. Yeah, yeah. So thank you so much, Representative. We're looking forward to having you back in subsequent months and years for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at jrosenbaum. How can people follow you on Twitter or any other parts of the World Wide Web? Yep, you can follow me on Twitter at SheenBean32, as well as uh, Facebook at Rasheen Aldridge, State Representative of the 78th District. Um, and if you inbox me or direct message me on Twitter or Facebook, I get back really quickly. Thank you so much, and until next time, so long. Wow.